Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Tom Adams here, and I am joined by Bavarian Football Works and Podcast Works own He Who Should Not Be Named, I Need No Name. In, how are you doing? I know it's been a while since you and I have teamed up. I think this is probably the third, maybe fourth time that we've paired together for the uh, Bavarian Podcast Work Show. We don't have any real complaints yet, whether that's uh, people just being nice to us or people actually like us. But in, I know it's uh, very late at the time of recording where you are, your neck of the woods. How are you doing today? I'm doing great because we are recording this just after the match. I think it's been an hour since Bayern just beat Leverkusen 5-1. So I'm feeling pretty good. Although I do have classes tomorrow morning, I'm not feeling good about that. But still, you can't complain after a win like that. That is just the best feeling. And, you know, I'll record this and I will edit and then I will go to bed. So looking forward to that. That sounds absolutely exhilarating. And in, while I have the chance, uh, do you happen to know which other club scored five goals this weekend? Just, you know, I thought I'd sneak that question in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know the answer, but I don't want to say it. I don't want to give you the satisfaction. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I, I would venture to say that if Leverkusen or Watford were playing each other, I would probably be backing Leverkusen, even despite us completely rolling them over today, just a few hours ago, as you said, at the Bay Arena. And that'll just kind of segue nicely into our first topic in because now we've had a pretty good look, right? I think it's 12 matches, 13 matches, correct me if I'm wrong, that Nagelsmann has had in charge of Bayern Munich. Obviously, the preseason was not a good barometer of how we've actually been playing competitively under Nagelsmann, right? We had a lot of guys at the European Championships, a lot of injuries, couldn't really use that as a barometer. We didn't win any games in preseason. But looking back now that we, like I said, that we've played 12, 13 matches, I, for now that it's on the, uh, that now that I'm actually talking about, it, I can't remember if today is number 13 or 12 across all competitions, but only it's one fine. blip on matter. the radar, really in that 2-1 loss to Frankfurt before the international break. And I mean, did this win, especially the nature of today's win, five goals, a brace from Gnabry, a brace from Lewandowski, honestly could have been more than five goals in the first half too. And, you know, Patrick Schick did pull one back, but in just collectively, is this just another further stamp of approval for Nagelsmann and how he's done thus far? I think this was probably the best performance we've had on the Nagelsmann so far. It was even better than the one, uh, the 5-0 win over Dynamo Kiev. And I think that was also a pretty solid performance. But this is because Leverkusen, they were joint top of the table coming into this game. And they seemed really formidable opponents. And we just ripped them apart in that first half. And everyone played so well, literally every single player. So I think Nagelsmann is finally like coming into his own in terms of a Bayern Munich coach. He is getting the hang of all of his players. Sane is obviously performing so well. Davies has been performing out of this world since Nagelsmann took over. And I think Lewandowski and Muller, and that was one of my biggest complaints about Nagelsmann, that he's not using Lewandowski and Muller enough so far this season. But they, he, Lewandowski just got two goals and Muller got a goal and assist. So, you know, I can't complain. But that being said, I would say that I'm just around 60% convinced of Nagelsmann so far. I think we have a few more challenges left. I think we need to show that we can beat Benfica and Dortmund in the, you know, Hinrunde and then Rukrunde, you know, the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, right, right. all those other teams. But for now, I think I'll say that I'm more convinced than unconvinced. Like, I think this is, you know, tipped me over the balance point. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're to look at the table, especially with the fact that Dortmund, with their result yesterday beating Mainz, went provisionally joint top of the table with Leverkusen. Uh, but, you know, if you're just solely looking at the tables, you know, and the stats on paper, you might not get the full context, right? You know, you you would want to question, you know, how often this season or how many times I should say has Bayern really, really been tested by a top class opposition. We have the DFL Super Cup, obviously in the first installment of Der Klassiker this season that we won mm. away at Barcelona is never easy. But in I know that uh, you would never be someone to shy away from speaking about, you know, how just how poorly the state of Barcelona is right now and everything. Yeah, they are really in a terrible situation and i think they play later today so we'll be seeing that i think they play against valencia so that might be interesting uh but i i'm honestly certain that by the time we face barcelona in december ronald coleman won't be in charge so that that if they get a good coach someone like you know antonio conte then that might also be added to the list of difficult or challenging fixtures if they get a good coach if, if Ronald Koeman is still in charge we'll steamroll them it's not going to be an issue so for now that's why I say that because Barcelona was so terrible and Dortmund had a lot of injuries when we faced them I think their entire backline was injured they didn't have Guerrero and they didn't have Hummels so because of that I don't really think that Bayern were challenged very much and there was also the fact that we almost slipped up against Gladbach and we did slip up against Frankfurt so Nagelsmann hasn't had the perfect start that you'd expect. He was looking much worse right at the beginning, like when he had all those losses in the preseason and then suddenly the first game against Gladbach was a draw. It was looking really, uh, you know, difficult for him. But since then, I think he's won everyone back, especially because of how he's used Leroy Sané. And it's looking good, but I still think there's something missing with this Bayern team. Yeah, and I would even add in, just looking at some of our opponents and results, I would even add that there were nervy moments against F. Sekun, and then after Benjamin Pavard's red card at SPVG, G, Greuter Firth. I don't know why I said the, the full team name there. And <laughs> I, I just technically in my mind, having written it down so many times, uh, I just I felt like saying it. I couldn't even tell you what the SPVGG stands for. I, I know you might know, but I don't. And I, I don't know. Speaking, I barely know how to pronounce Greuter Firth. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, every contributor on the podcast, they kind of, they have their own little twist on how to pronounce that. But, you know, speaking to that point in, I know that you are not the biggest advocate of Benjamin Pavard and it was his red card that caused those nervy situations in that particular match. And with that said, I think anybody who's watching Bayern on a regular basis, especially this season with Leroy Sané 2.0, so to speak, the form he's in. Lewandowski scoring at will once again, you know, it was like shock of the world that he didn't score a few match weeks ago against Eintracht Frankfurt, Serge Gnabry flying, Jamal Musiala, very productive when he comes on if he doesn't start. The attack is not the problem in it's clear as day that Bayern can score goals at will. Now we move a little bit further back the pitch. You would say that there's a lot of solidity between Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich, but we've shown we can be exposed and that this back line has kind of taken a few twists and turns along the way, right? Pavard's instability, 
Josip Stanisic, I don't think anybody going into the season would have expected him to be as productive and as useful and effective as he was in the beginning stages of this season. And then predominantly playing Nikola Zula as a right back for you know the past couple of match weeks. But in, we can concede goals. And there are still some things, as you just mentioned, like you were only 60% convinced at this point. I mean, what do you think, whether it's defense or perhaps even in the midfield, specifically, like what do you think some of these weaknesses still might be that Nagelsmann really needs to work on hashing out? Well, I think that there are just basically two weaknesses. One is the fact that our passing could be a lot better because, you know, both everyone who was watching the game on our live blog, they were commenting on how we kept giving the ball away versus Leverkusen. And I understand that Leverkusen is like a really press-oriented team and you are expected to give the ball away to them. But even so, we were giving the ball away a lot and there were moments where those turnovers could have really resulted in something bad for our defense. And the second part is obviously the same thing. The defense is good, a lot better than it was last year, but still not that solid. Like if I would have to choose something like a peak behind defense, something like, um, you know, you Pinkus's troubled side, okay? That was amazing. Like you couldn't get past them no matter what you did. And that was with just Boateng and Dante. So Nagelsmann has much better defenders and we still concede pretty much every game nowadays. Even against Leverkusen, they didn't barely had a chance, but even so they ended up getting the better of Lucas and uh, Sheik, he scored that goal past Nor, and Nor is really struggling to keep these clean sheets. And I think that's one of the big problems with this team, that we don't keep enough clean sheets. You look at a team like Chelsea, like they were all out at sea on the front Lampard. And when Tuchel came in, he didn't really make their attack all that much better. But what he did was just fixed up their defense. And that's all it took to take an average performing attack and an amazing defense. That's all it took to win them the Champions League. So it's obvious that the defense is always the key when you want to win trophies. And I really want to see Nagelsmann do more with that. So, and I have a, a question I posed to you because we, you know, you were discussing the Patrick Schick goal. Neuer looked like he was off his line just a split second too late, which is uncharacteristic of Neuer. But, you know, it came on that side. Schick just kind of got right in between Luca Hernandez and Stanisic, who was playing left back at the time after he had come on for Alfonso Davies. You know, Nagelsmann made the decision to pull him uh, before halftime even. I think it was somewhere around the 40th minute. We now know uh, in retrospect that there was some slight pain and aggravation in his hip. Uh, I believe I already saw uh, one of our, our writers had Posted that link. Yeah, some kind of channel. muscle muscle but, uh, injury or something. We don't know yeah. the extent of it. In that game. sense, so we've most often, right, seen Stanisic on the right, which is where he eventually moved to. So in that situation, in I'm kind of thinking in my mind because this injuries will happen. You know, stuff like this will happen. Uh, especially we still have one more international break to go. And for Alfonso Davies in Canada and CONCACAF, they're, those games like they have to get points from to make sure that they get direct qualification to the World Cup. So that's going to be even more miles uh, for Alfonso Davies, as we saw, you know, scored that sensational goal against Panama. I believe it was uh, in, in their 2-1 qualifying. Yeah, that was amazing. Break. So he's going to, yeah, it was. If you haven't seen that, you're definitely missing out. But you know, when that happens, it, I was thinking in my mind, like Stanisic, he definitely prefers the right, doesn't look as comfortable on the ball from the left. And we had Nick Lasula on the pitch. We had Luca Hernandez on the pitch. At that point in, do you think Nagelsmann could even have brought Nicolas Sula to the middle and pushed Hernandez out to the left, keeping Upamecano uh, in the middle and then pushed Stanisic out right? 
I think perhaps if that had happened from the get-go, maybe that goal doesn't happen when we actually do keep a clean sheet. Is that something, is that food for thought for you, or is that just, yeah, I you think know, that uh, useless was, uh, like, talk? Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, you do make a point, because if you look at the replay, you can see that there was a big gap between Lucas and Stanisic, which is where Sheik ran into, and that's how the goal happened, because you ended up with Sheik in front of Lucas with the ball, and so Lucas really couldn't do anything, even despite how fast he is, to really stop that goal from happening. And I think that if Davies were there, they would not have that gap there because Davies can afford to be a lot tighter with his positioning. He doesn't need to be as close to the winger because he can close them down with his pace. But that being said, I think the reason why Nagelsmann put Stanisic on the left was because we were already 5-0 up. So he was just testing to see how Stanisic could, you know, perform on the left in case we don't, you know, we have um, a reason to say sub out Alfonso Davies because as far as I could see, based on what I saw of Omar Richards today, he's not exactly ready for Bundesliga level minutes. And yeah, I'd have I'd have to agree yeah, there. Yeah, he exactly. Was a bit off the pace, even when we were. You know, it's one thing coming into I think Bayern a little bit partially because of the changes. I thought Leverkusen was a bit more compact the second half of the substitutions were made. Uh, but it was, a, you know, he never really seemed, I think he he had a, quite a few misplaced passes, didn't really seem like he was connecting uh, with people, but yeah. it is kind of an awkward situation to come into uh, to his credit. Yeah, that's kind of the thing. And that's why I think Stanisic, you know, he's testing him out there to see what can, what he can do. Maybe the plan would have been to, you know, maybe put Stanisic there against Benfica if he really performed well. Although I don't think that's going to be the plan going forward. I think Lucas will, if Lucas is available, which is something we have to discuss a little bit. But yeah. if Lucas is available um, against Benfica, we might have to play him there. And I think it's just... It was just Nagelsmann seeing that once you're 5-0 up, you have no chance of losing the game. So just just go ahead and do some experimentation. Bring on uh, players early. Bring on Stanisic. Bring on, uh, you know, Sabitzer and, you know, sub off Lewandowski and Muller, which he did at the 60th minute. That was kind of interesting. We had we played like 30 minutes completely without a striker, even though Chupa Moting was on the bench. So that was kind of interesting. And I think Nagelsmann is still learning what this team can do. It's not like how Flick was doing. I think Flick, what he did was he knew exactly what he wanted to do with Bayern and he implemented it immediately. And once he had it going, he just made fine tweaks. And Nagelsmann, in comparison, he has an idea of what he wants to do. He has an idea of what he wants certain players to do, like Alfonso Davies or Leroy Sane. He has ideas with those. But everyone, every other part of the pitch, things are still changing. Still, the, Things are still evolving. And that's one of the reasons why I can't say that I'm any more than 60% convinced by Nagelsmann because his bind, you know, it's still a work in progress. I don't think we'll see a final version of this Nagelsmann bind for at least another two or three months. Well, and a certain someone in who you're not very fond of is available for selection at Benfica, right? And his uh, Bundesliga red card suspension is now up. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what Nagelsmann does with him and see if he re-enters him into the fray. If it was in standing on the touchline, I know what uh, that he probably would not be on the team sheet, but Nagelsmann might make that decision. So we will have to see. But in you also mentioned... Uh, you know, the need for the reason to discuss Luca Hernandez in a little bit further detail. And for those of you who don't know what I'm segueing into, and 
If you haven't seen, he's gotten himself into a bit of legal trouble, or I should say legal troubles have sort of resurfaced. Now, the general gist from what I understand, and Ian might be able to uh, add some more details uh, if he knows them or if he can speak better on them. Something that had happened in 2010 with his uh, significant other. An it was actually 2017. Oh, I apologize. I apologize. 2017. I don't know why I had 2010 stuck in my head. That was a mistake by the publisher of that article. Right, right. And now I remember that. So anyways, when he was still a, a player for Atletico Madrid, there was an altercation in the street somewhere in uh, Madrid. And apparently they reconciled. They wound up going on a honeymoon shortly thereafter. There was some sort of restraining order that was placed on Hernandez that his significant other didn't even know about. And so he wound up obviously violating the restraining order legally and from whatever reason and you might know more uh spanish courts have now essentially resurfaced this issue so he might face uh some legal stipulations because of this and you know we don't really know where this is going to end yeah actually um looking at the reports it might be really serious for lucas like he could actually end up spending six months in prison right in the middle of the season which is you know devastating for Bayern because we bought this guy for 80 million and spending six months in prison no training no fitness no nothing that could just ruin his career so but that being said I do know the full story about what happened with Hernandez because I did do the article on what domestic violence um, you know situations he got into back when we were trying to sign him from Atletico all the way back in 2018, I think. Um, in any case, what happened was basically like they got into some kind of fight. Like she was attacking him and he kind of fought back as well. And the judge, what they decided was that they're both like um, a danger to each other. So they he decided to give them both a restraining order. But the problem was that... I believe Lucas, while he was notified, she wasn't. So they ended up going on a honeymoon and they went to Las Vegas. And then when they came back, Lucas was in fact arrested at the airport for breaking the restraining order. Now, I don't know why, you know, this thing is resurfaced now. Maybe it's because the pandemic kept the Spanish courts from following up on it. But like there are so many conflicting reports. Like I read RLD's amazing breakdown of the you know case on our blog, and I'll link it in the podcast article if anyone wants to read it. But basically, there are conflicting reports on what exactly Lucas has been summoned for. Some people say that he may not have completed his community service, and others say that you know it's just because of the breach of the restraining order. And other people say that you know it could be something else entirely, some other conviction which we don't know about. And I don't think there are any you know uh, there's any unknown facts to this case. But even so, it's according to some reports, Lucas could be looking at up to six months in prison because the Spanish courts don't like it that he essentially held the court ruling in contempt instead of, I'm not a lawyer, so don't don't quote me on this, but it's more serious than, say, for example, the tax evasion scandals that guys like Messi and Ronaldo and everyone got into, where, they, where it was that rule that said that if you have less than a two-year conviction, you can get that suspended. And that might be what trips up Lucas this time because of his prior conviction as well as this. That being said, I have no idea where this is going to go. And it is quite unfortunate for Lucas that it's happened because I think he and his wife have reconciled and they do live together happily married. 
Even so, I don't like that this has come up right now because it's not good for it's not a good look for Bayern because you know we had the Boateng scandal a little while ago and while Boateng doesn't play for us anymore, that scandal with him, the domestic abuse investigation, the suicide of his ex girlfriend, all these things, you know, and then there's also Kingsley Coman who was a few years ago he was also convicted for domestic abuse against his girlfriend, and so once you have three domestic abuses at the club at that point it starts impacting your club's image yeah certainly it does and you mentioned you know all that stuff with Boateng happened of course while he was still a Bayern Munich player and it very much kind of uh, really started to get thrust into the headlines very quickly after certain things came out Um, yeah and like you and like I'm no legal expert obviously we can only speak about and report about what we know, and especially from the club's perspective, we know that our front office is remaining respectfully very tight-lipped over the situation because they don't know the details as much as we do, or perhaps they do, but they want to leave all of those uh, decisions and, uh, I guess, representations up to Hernandez, and it's not their matter to comment on uh, until it is. And we don't want to sit here and condone or defend the players, right? Because we don't know specifically what happened, but specifically with this Hernandez incident, and as you mentioned, happily married, living together, happy family. It, it does seem a bit odd, the timing of this. Uh, and I do have to agree with you. I think the pandemic probably had affected proceedings in that regard and in that sense. But yeah, you know, <laughs> Bavarian Legal Works, our very own uh, RLD had done a piece on this. And, you know, he seems to be the go-to guy for these types of situations. And, uh, you know, Bav- uh, Byron's legal history. It wasn't there something as well in like, Vidal, some kind of incident yeah, uh, at Vidal a nightclub or before, something like that? Yeah, Vidal went to a nightclub. Apparently he got like someone got into a fight in there and apparently some kind of wine bottle, some big, big wine bottle was smashed and something like that. Vidal has like a colorful history with the law because I remember he got um, done for drunk driving his Ferrari in while he was still playing for Juventus. And I'll just tell you something about Juventus. Juventus is the is owned by the Agnelli family who own Fiat, who own Ferrari. And there in Italy, if you desecrate a Ferrari, that's like, you know, desecrating a national monument, you become a pariah. And so they were absolutely furious with him. And I think that's one of the reasons why Bayern got him for so cheap, because he actually, you know, desecrated that Ferrari. But that being said, I think Vidal had another run in the law recently, like while he was with Inter, he was found drunk driving again. And this is something that has followed him. But even so, I don't think Vidal had a very se- any serious incidents with the law while he was at Bayern. Like it's always been with him in Italy or him with the Chilean national team. Compared to that, I think this Lucas thing could be very serious because he is facing a potential jail sentence. Now, you know, the cynical part of me says that he might not have to serve it because he might just have to pay a fine because he's rich and famous and rich and famous people don't normally play by the same rules that normal people do. Even so, you know, even so, it's just a bad look for the club. Like so many domestic violence cases, so many players being, you know, three is a lot more than almost any club I can think of. I can't think of any club that has even two domestic abusers on their team, like convicted abusers. And then you have three in our, and I understand that both Coman and uh, Hernandez seem to have reconciled with their partners and Boateng is no longer a member of the club, but even so it just looks really bad. And I think that 
from a PR's perspective, fine, keeping silent is probably the best thing to do, but it kind of stinks as a fan to see this constantly happening because it's just another stick that other people will use to beat us with, you know? Certainly, yeah. And there'd be definitely be people on the side of the argument saying that, you know, silence is a form of inaction. But, you know, I, I agree. We don't know the specific details of all of those cases. While they look terrible and sound terrible, as you said, and you don't want to have those labels and those stories attached to your club or your organization. But, um, you know, I also trust our, our club and the front office, and they're not going to speak when they shouldn't speak. And I'm sure even with that, if they don't say anything, they're still doing the right thing behind the scenes, whether it's uh, helping those affected or you know, getting the right details that they have to get. And I, I don't think in, you know, if, if something like we've had Ribéry get punished for his uh, golden steak with the steak bay incident that we covered extensively where he yeah, had that was the, just uh, social, a, I think that was just a PR thing. Post. Like that was just a French well, yeah, but we've had, hitting him. Yeah. The, my point was, you know, when the players need to be lambasted uh, yeah. in, internally, they will get lambasted. And if it's a separate legal issue, the legal system will hope to take care of that. But if it's something that's brought into the club, I don't think that there would be any hesitation to you know, take the the appropriate action. But like I said, we cannot speak on the details. We don't know the specific details. And, you know, hopefully tying this back to a footballing perspective, and as you mentioned, the prospect of actually facing time uh, for Hernandez is somewhat realistic. And he's a player who's been playing very, very well at the heart of yeah. finance defense alongside Upamecano. So this could affect depth in a crucial part of the season as well. Once we get this last October international break out of the way, you know, the matches across all competitions come thick and fast. We have that uh, third round or sorry, second round call match coming up against Gladbach. That can be a potential banana skin, uh, depending on how things go at Benfica. You know, we we definitely need to get points. We would want to finish first or second, obviously, in the Champions League group. And, you know, I think Dortmund and Leverkusen, for the most part, other than when we've actually played them, have shown that Bayern can't afford to slip up. It's going to be a close race this season. So losing him would certainly uh, affect depth. And, and, and at this point in the season, as we approach the closing stages of the Hinrun, the depth is going to be vitally important. Yeah, because like I think Lucas is not just depth in one position, he's depth two positions because he not only plays center back, he also plays left back. And you know, losing him might mean Alfonso Davies is put under even more pressure than he is currently. And Davies is one of those guys like who will have to play a lot of minutes. Like you might be able to tell me, but I think I believe that. Um, the North American qualifiers, they still have a lot of qualifying games left. Whereas in Europe, um, the Germans are already qualified. So, and in Europe, there are not that many qualifying rounds left. So the European players, they might be getting a little bit of rest soon. Whereas Davies, he is one of the guys who will really be running to the ground with Canada because Canada, he is their best player and he's going to play so many minutes and losing Hernandez now to prison, which is basically like losing him to an ACL or something like that. That would be absolutely devastating. I Maybe Tangi Nyonzu can fill in his spot at centre-back. Like the young, he's really young and he's a little bit raw, but I think he can do it. But the, the left-back position with Omar Rich is still, you know, still pretty untested and um, Stanisic needed kind of at right-back and also Stanisic not really being up left back proper left back so with all of that it's kind of it's kind of coming at a really bad time 
Yeah, and and in as you mentioned, those uh, the Concacaf World Cup qualifiers, they all do still have several matches left to play to complete that round of qualifying, uh, which stretches into uh, 2021. And obviously, as we know, we're going to be experiencing a World Cup at a different time of the year. So, like you said, uh, guys like Alfonso Davies will really be up against the cost, especially for Canada, who I think uh, I think uh, the hex or not the hex, but. Um, CONCACAF standings, I think it's Mexico, USA, Canada, Panama, rounding out the top four. So obviously the top three go through, uh, and then the fourth place team has to go into a, uh, a playoff round with, I believe, someone from the Asian continent, if I recall correctly. Um, I could be wrong in that, but I'm, I'm almost positive that that's the case. But yeah, so that depth, as we just discussed, is going to be vitally important, especially in the upcoming stages of the season. But in there's also another end to that spectrum. You know, I had put out a tweet the other day, you know, there's a lot of teams, Liverpool, for example, a lot of the fan base or a portion of the fan base, I should say, during the transfer window, like we essentially just announced the Jordan Henderson extended on transfer deadline day. And a lot of fans were a little bit furious with the lack of transfer activity. It's almost as if there's a, you know, there's a mindset and a narrative of a certain sect of fans of each clubs, you know, like you have your man cities, Jack Grealish coming in, trying to get Harry Kane. It's almost as if success or projected success, excuse me, projected success for any given season, uh, you know, is synonymous with the amount of transfer business that you do. And, you know, obviously it was a relatively big window uh, for Bayern bringing in Nagelsmann, Upamakano, uh, Omar Richards, but Definitely not dollars and cents wise as much as, you know, your Man Cities or your Paris Saint-Germain's of the world. But we, you know, transfers are not the be all end all in. And we actually have to take a close look at our roster. And there's actually a fair amount of of dead weight, so to speak, that's not being used on this roster. You mentioned Nyanzi. Yeah, I know. But two guys that, yeah, kind of come to the forefront. You know, a a guy like Mark Roca, a guy like Mikel Cuisance, you know, these are two guys who have been given second chances, so to speak. You know, uh, we saw a little bit of either of them under Hansi Flick, but Roca has had some very unfortunate injury luck. Hansi Flick had taken time to work with him one-on-one, specific parts of his game, defensive shielding, 50-50 challenges, you know, keeping himself between the ball and the opposing player, that type of thing. And, you know, it, it's been clear from Nagelsmann's standpoint, you know, he'll be given a chance, but at some point, and do you just have to let bygones be bygones and cut these guys loose? Because where do you see them fitting in the squad, if at all? Yeah, well, I think Bayern desperately tried to get rid of Cuisance, and we've been trying for at least at least two years now to get rid of him. But it's looking like no one wants to buy him because his attitude issues are so well known now that he's basically no one wants to even touch him. Like at Marseille, he got attitude problems. Um, Leeds were ready to buy him, and then that random um, that medical issue happened, and they just canceled the transfer. And then there's the fact that he just can't get a game at Bayern. Like no one, um, Nagelsmann keeps saying that he needs to do better, and everyone says that his attitude just stinks. Roca doesn't really have that same issue. Like according to everyone that talks to the media at least. Broca seems to be having a good positive attitude, but even so, he doesn't seem to be convincing the coach. Like both Hansi and Nagelsmann, neither of them seem convinced by him. And I can see why, because Roca does not seem to fit our, you know, really vertical passing oriented, um, gig and pressing oriented team. He doesn't seem to be that kind of player. And because of that, you know, 
I'm kind of reminded of someone like Sebastian Rudy, who we got all the way back in the Pep era. And if you remember him, Rudy was like considered possibly the second coming of Bastian Schweinsteiger, but he never fit in at Bayern because he just did not have that. Um, why, why did I say Sebastian Rudy? I meant Sebastian Roda. Yeah, Sebastian Rudy. Well, there was also a Sebastian Rudy. Yeah, there was a Sebastian <laughs> Rudy. But that was a, that was that was not a flop. Uh, <laughs> R- R- Rudy wasn't that much of a flop. Like we got him for free and then sold him to Schalke for twenty minutes. That was good. But Sebastian Rudy, right, we right. got him. We got him for free and we sold him to Dortmund. But uh, with Sebastian Rudy, what happened was he just wasn't the kind of he was a little a lot more physical, kind of running run and gun kind of midfielder, and he didn't really fit into Pep's possession oriented thing team and you know that same thing is happening to Mark Roker but just in reverse like by no longer player possession oriented side and Mark Roker is just suited to that kind of team so he's just the odd one out and I think there are plenty of teams that can use Roker I think he's a good player but he just doesn't fit us yeah and I feel so bad for him because everything I've written about him everything I've read about him you know he very much is the type of player who would 100% and who has 100% just kind of stuck his head down worked hard and and remained committed to trying to get his chance and get more consistent minutes at Bayern and I remember seeing him last year in the Champions League I thought he was doing quite well and he I think it was an unfortunate situation where he got very unlucky two yellow cards and yeah. I want to say it was against uh Bay Salzburg in the Champions League it happened to be one of the matches where Bayern had already clinched advancement to the knockout stages uh, uh, it feels like that was already like two years ago, three years ago. But, you know, yeah. as I've said many times before, COVID and the pandemic has just like warped my sense of time because there's calendar years, but then there's also Bayern years and Bayern seasons. Like it's incredible to me that we've had the treble and then we had a full season with all of its competitions and an international tournament in between then and now. Uh, yeah, so and, I, and I even so, the treble was just, days, you know? just a year ago, so... Yeah, right? like it's insane to think about. But for a guy like Roca, you know, I, I just feel bad for him. And the only way, you know, I, I would I would hope that Bayern hold out on him. And if they do decide to let him go get the best possible deal, because I still think there's a lot of upside potential, especially if it's somewhere else in the in the Bundesliga or perhaps even Liga uh, in a similar path that Alexander Nubel took. Granted, there are many other reasons why he did that. Uh, you know, it, that's always mm. going to happen when you're trying to supplant Manuel Neuer, one of the greatest keepers in the world, uh, if not the best, if you're asking me. Um, but he is the yeah, best. So he can't say yeah, anything else. Can't argue that the goat keeper. Yeah. Uh, Neuer the wall hashtag but in so with with these two guys right we have a winter transfer window coming up and then the summer and the fall transfer window uh, later on but but in if you had to put your stack your chips while they're hot so to speak I mean do you think these guys either one or the two of them will be gone in the winter or subsequently the summer or both I think I think both of them will stick around simply because we can't sell Cuisant I think Cuisant is already on the marketplace but no one wants to buy it we will probably end up having to just keep loaning him just to get some of the salary expenses back. But no one wants him. And I think his career at this level is basically dead unless he just does an amazing remontada comeback kind of thing. Roca. <laughs> well, he is the hashtag yeah. step over king. And- oh, man, don't tell me that. Chuck is going to. Chuck is going to hear this part. Yeah. We yeah, can have Chuck Chuck try and broker yeah. a deal to get him to go to the Philadelphia yeah. Union. <laughs> Resurrect his he, career. He might not even be MLS quality at this point. Like, <laughs> oh man, Quison sucks so much. Like, I we watched him against Bremer, and he was barely able to make a good pass. And Bremer are a fifth division team, so 
And this is a guy I remember in who, when he was at Borussia Mönchengladbach, essentially had complained that he deserved to be on a better team, remember? Oh, man, that was so funny. That was, and back then we kind of joked that, okay, maybe he does think that he's talented and he needs to be doing better. But he, he was already well beyond this level at Borussia Mönchengladbach. And this is one of those transfers that really did not work out for Brazil. I can picture Roca, like a, just like yeah. a, a right a right smirk from Max Burrell. Just he probably yeah. like had a premonition and knew at the time like hey, we're gonna get the money. I mean, it's not it's and not Bayern, much of a premonition. It's gonna I be Byron's problem. Didn't 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 did do something really disrespectful at the Gladbach training center or something? I don't know. Like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, yeah. but he made it clear like he was uh, very irritated there, and he yeah. was someone he felt that he deserved to be playing on a Champions League side. Yeah, and this was a few seasons back. Yeah, that was just a few seasons back, and like. As for Roka, I think Roka still has like some kind of a role to play on this team because, you know, Kimmich is not getting rested at all. And that's kind of worrying for me because Nagelsmann, even he still at least brings on Zabitzer from time to time to play in the Goretzka role and let him, you know, go out, uh, get some rest. But Kimmich is playing every single minute for both Germany and Bayern. And that can't be good for him even at this age. Like, I remember Schweinsteiger used to play every every game with 100% intensity. And by age 30, Schweinsteiger's body had just completely given up on them. And I don't want that to happen to Kimmich. So I'm hoping that maybe Roker can come good as maybe a defensive midfield, like tempo-setting midfield for us. And, you know, even if he isn't perfect for the system, he can at least do a job against like smaller opponents, teams like Kreuzer Furt or VFL Bochum, teams like that, and let Kimmich rest a little bit. So I would keep Roker for at least the rest of the season. Whereas Cuisance, if he gets an offer, we ship him off. Like whatever offer he gets, we let him go. You know, just don't keep him any longer. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think we both share the sentiment that Cuisance is a lost cause, but we both would be willing to have Roka stay and fight and, you know, have Nagelsmann kind of try and find a way to keep him involved. You know, you also have Quarantan Taliso in the France center mid, but... Yeah, Quarantan Taliso is another one. Yeah, he's yeah, about he to is. leave. I think he's... I think his buying career is basically over and he's just, you know, just trying to get back into fitness. And it's a shame to say because he's another guy I really wanted to have prominence at Bayern. He's another guy like yeah, Roca, he was a who's young, had terrible injury, you know, history. He was also a young so Bayern fan, just like Zabitzer. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was. People forget that. And I, uh, that was kind of in the back of my mind until you just mentioned it. And, you know, now it's at the forefront. But, and unless you have any closing thoughts, I think that's uh, pretty much a good time to wrap up this episode. Any closing thoughts? Any closing uh, thoughts, wor so words of wisdom? advice for our listeners let's just Life sum advice, up anything you know? like that you know, let's just sum up because we think so summing up what performing podcast works tells you today Julian Nagelsmann is 60% on his way to being convincing for Bayern Munich the other thing is that Lucas his situation sucks we hate it we don't want to we don't want to see him go to jail but on this at the same time if he goes to jail it's totally devastating for us and the final thing is that sell Cuisance keep Roca for at least another you know, till the end of the season. So that's okay. about it. That's the gist of it. Always, as always, tell us how we did. Tell Tom, you know, if you have some skating criticism of Tom, let him know. If you have some skating <laughs> criticism of me, keep it to yourself. And, you know, <laughs> we will see you next time. Yeah, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe, whatever platform you listen to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, some platform I don't even know about. 
follow in at BFWN on Twitter, myself at Tommy Adams 71, but also the main handle at Bavarian FB works. You can follow Chuck if you want. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to. Yeah, you at don't Fenner have blog, to. At Jefferson Fenner. And uh, does Samron have a Twitter in? No. Does she or is she one of the ones? That, well, yeah, she's, a to- she's a total boomer. So don't, you don't have to worry about her. <laughs> there are a few contributors that do not have Twitter handles yet. Maybe someday we'll convince them. But again, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, and until next time, which will probably be the preview show for SL Benfica in the Champions yeah. League. Auf Wiedersehen. Good night.